Hey everyone, Andrew here with a fun little offer. If you are someone who wants to show your dedication to shows that break orbit uh, and everything that we do here at the Moonshot Network, well, now you can. We are officially open for some merch pre-sales. Uh, we've never done this before, but we are currently doing a pre-sale for some pins. A Moonshot pin that is uh, our cool logo that our good friend Caro designed is now available in metal and enamel, a wonderful pin form. If you want to show all your friends the coolest pin this side of Jupiter, you can pre-order it. It's available at moonshotnetwork.bigcartel.com. Or if you check our Twitter, we will have a tweet that is, should be pinned that'll tell you exactly where you can find it. <laughs> the tweet's going to be uh, it's going to be pinned like um, like you would if you ordered the... Anyways, you can pre-order it now. Ten bucks. Enjoy the show. And welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing to talk about The House of Hades. How are you doing today, Jane? Oh, I'm, I'm doing just fine. Uh, in anticipation of this uh, arc in the book where we're going through like this horrible, this horrible prison full of like the, the colorful characters of the Percy Jackson universe... Uh, to get myself in that mindset, I've continued playing through the Arkham games. I'm up to Arkham Asylum now. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, I think I genuinely fucking despise this series. Yeah. Yeah. They suck. You know what doesn't suck? What is that? Jacqueline. How's Jacqueline today? Oh, I'm doing okay. I've also been playing a lot of video games. Uh, uh-huh. Probably too many video games. Just the same <laughs> video game, I guess, is what's been happening. I've been playing too much Necrodancer still. Uh, you get those to achievements. Get, I'm trying to get. I'm. I. I got. I need to get an under 15 minute run. Seems pretty easy. Just die. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I also need to win. Is the problem? Oh yeah, that sounds odd. Yeah, I, I did it with the main character, but I did it without DLC installed. So now there's one extra zone I have to go through, which means mm. there are like five or six extra rooms. Uh, so. But yeah, we're we're not here to talk about my roguelike issues uh or or anything like that. We're here to talk about um what what's what's this book called? House of Hades. House of Hades, uh, a concept which has never been associated with roguelikes. No, I can't think of any time that that's happened that would be relevant to us at least. That we've talked about several times on this very show. No. No, that doesn't sound true. Yeah. I we should develop like a that'd be kind of cool though like a greek mythology themed roguelite uh-huh uh-huh you could set it in the underworld you could have all the different like regions as like the different zones yeah like you could have like the the fields of punishment maybe elysium uh just like maybe the offices of hades himself that'd be kind of funny uh, you could even make it star uh son of hades who's uh kind of edgy and has a stygian iron sword Nico. Exactly. No other characters like that exist. Yes. The Percy Jackson roguelite. We have to do it. <laughs> Alright, let's let's Jane, do you is have this... the skills to develop a game? Is this uh-huh. bit good? Is this bit funny? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> My brain's a little bit wiped today. I'm not sure if anything is funny. 
I do have the skills to develop a game. I fucking I, I I made one in fucking secondary school, which was maybe the greatest video game ever developed. What? We had to. It was for um an IT class, and we were using a program called uh, Scratch. Oh to my make, god! Like, basically, shitty little flash games. Uh, and I managed to uh, con my way into a much higher grade than I deserved uh-huh. by basically, uh, I, I made like basically a fake game. So the the pitch that I laid out in like the written report of it was like, this is just a game where uh, you have a little character that you control uh, and you can jump around and the screen will flash different equations at you with a bunch of different options and you just jump at the number that has the right answer on it. So that was what I wrote in in the report section. What the game actually was, was a single screen with one equation. And like, it changed after you solved it, but it also stopped working because I didn't know how to program it to do a different equation afterwards. Uh Uh-huh. But because the teacher just like went around and played each game for like 30 seconds, then was like, yep, this seems to work. I got away with it. That's amazing. (laughs) I think that is how people put out video games nowadays, though. I feel like that's in the spirit of video games of like this this barely works and the player doesn't really get any of uh, the the ways in which it is held together with duct tape and prayers. You can put out that day one patch to add a second equation. <laughs> well, speaking of patches, shall we uh, discuss these chapters? Do you want to give us the summaries? Uh, hell yeah. Chapter 13, Percy. Percy and Annabeth continue their journey through Tartarus, following the Empuse. He reflects on the fact that while fighting them during Battle of the Labyrinth was pretty terrible, it was a walk in the park compared to their current predicament. They follow behind them and reach an open plain with practically no cover, except for huge blisters which shit out newly rebirthed monsters. Every monster is heading towards a black fog at the edge of the plain, presumably the same direction as the Doors of Death. Unfortunately, that means Percy and Annabeth have to go that way too. Chapter 14, Percy. While briefly resting, Annabeth observes that the situation could actually have been worse. Instead of falling into the river Cocytus, they might have fallen into the river Leith and had their memories erased. Percy recalls the case of Iepetus, Nabob, from Demigod Files, who experienced that very thing. While they're down memory lane, Percy also thinks about Tantalus, who, like Percy and Annabeth, is stuck in the underworld and cursed to not have any decent food and drink. Despite how awful Tantalus was when he was camp director in Sea of Monsters, Percy finds himself sympathising with him. They set off again, but Percy notices something extremely freaky and disconcerting. The ground they're walking on across isn't earth, but a layer of skin. This is accompanied by a growing feeling that something malevolent is watching them, and seemingly aware of them in more ways than that. As they walk, they realise that they've lost track of the Empuse, right at the moment when the vampires spring out and surround them. Chapter 15, Percy. Annabeth manages to t- momentarily stave off being mauled to death by the Empuse when she realises that Kelly is their leader, and points out that the others shouldn't be following her because she's an idiot who failed their last master, Kronos, by failing to completely darkside Luke. She then bluffs and says that the Empuse should just give up and join them, since the demigod camps have totally joined forces, and since Hecate has a cabinet camp half-blood and Empuse are her servants, aligning with Gaia is a bad idea. Another Empusa, Seraphine, thinks this is a great idea, and briefly tries to wrest control of the group from Kelly, but she's killed and Kelly regains control. Annabeth and Percy try to fight, but they're quickly overpowered. It seems like this is it. Chapter 16, Percy. 
until a titan drops onto the battlefield. The Empusi are quickly dispatched as Bob, former lieutenant of Kronos and current janitor of Hades, protects Percy and Annabeth. He explains that hearing Percy say his name called him from across the underworld, and he rushed to his aid as quickly as he could. The Empusi weren't the only danger Percy and Annabeth are in, apparently. Bob says that they are coming, and he'll need to guide them through the wasteland before this mysterious they reach them. So, Annabeth, fuck. Holy shit. I said, you said that thing last week, and it got stuck in my head. What did I say? I made a joke about not knowing any of the mythology, and you said, Oh, Jane, I'm your Annabeth. And I got stuck in my brain, I think. Oh, I see, I see. Hi, Jacqueline. Real person and not fictional book character Annabeth. What did you think <laughs> Hi, of these chapters? Hi, Jane. I thought they were pretty pretty good. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, and I think it's establishing sort of what the what the Tartarus chapters will probably be like from now on, I guess, is the feeling I'm getting. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we had our bit to establish the mood. We had our bit to establish sort of like, oh, it's horrible down here. And now uh, we are with Percy, and we are seeing what I, what I think is basically setting up that this is going to be sort of a, a walk through the first series, in a sense. Yeah, this definitely seems to be, like, a lot of, um... I mean, I don't want to say fan service, because that makes it sound a lot more wanky than it actually is, but it's a lot of talking about the events of the previous books. Yeah, and not just that, but Tartarus, the place that all monsters get sent to, really does feel like a place that, like, could be good for just, like, hey, this guy's showing up again. Hey, this guy's showing up again. And... Right, like you said, that could be fan like like uh, I guess would you would you say wanky? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but it's so far it's not, and I think maybe half of that is just because of all my positive feelings about Bob the Titan. Bob the Titan is back. I'm so we were asking for this for a while. I think I feel like we've been asking for this since Bob the Titan first showed up. Yeah, because we thought surely he'll be a major player in Last Olympian, and then he wasn't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's finally here, like five books later. He's finally here in a move that I'm sure was an absolute head-scratcher for if you didn't read Demigod Files. Uh Uh-huh. Or even if you did, because that was like years ago, if you're reading these that they come out. Yeah. If you didn't read Demigod Files, you just hear Percy suddenly being like, oh yeah, one time I fought a titan named Iapetus and uh blasted him in the f- and he tr- turned him into bob and you're like what the fuck are you talking about it, we're definitely getting more of like it is essential to read these like short story collections it's not just a like a it, it's it's becoming very plot important yeah because between this and like um i know we joke about quest for buford a lot but also that did include a lot of like a lot of the setup like how the argo 2 works and stuff like that yeah or like I mean, Hecate comes up here again. Son of Magic, I think, is something that you probably need to have read. Mm-hmm. It, it is just very funny to hear Percy talking about it in the same tone of voice as, like, a video game character briefly explaining, like, the pre-order DLC you didn't buy. Yeah, it's like the beginning of fucking <laughs> Resident Evil 7 or whatever. I have not played Resident Evil 7. What What do you mean? I think the the there is a demo out where you go through it as a like ghost hunting team. You go through the house, and then in the main game you find a videotape that is just like the demo again. I think. <laughs> I see. But yeah, 
we were, we're pretty, we, we did a few less chapters this week because we're, we're experimenting with the format, seeing what works for us and not. Mm-hmm. And we're, so we pretty much just stuck with Percy this time around. This is our first time back with Percy in this book. What, what are you thinking? Uh, I'm liking him. He seems to have, I'm liking that, like, you know, obviously it's been a few days and a bout of massive depression. So he's mellowed out a bit, but you can tell he's still very clearly seething over the stuff from the end of the last book. Yeah. The, the, the realization he has that he's thinking about the Titan War is like the good old days. And that putting into perspective how absolutely fucked everything is now. It's just like, it's it's a good, it's a yet another good illustration of like how frustrated he is getting with the gods fucking with his life. There's a really good metaphor there of when he says it feels like the fates are like weaving his future, weaving his and Annabeth's futures with barbed wire instead of thread. God, yeah. I I I feel like I feel like we needed to have the image of them like knitting little sweaters out of barbed wire. Cuz we be saw really them knitting cute. sweaters in the first book. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Oh man. I think his reflection upon the like the war against Kronos uh as this like sort of nostalgic thing and the fact that we are getting all these characters makes me wonder how much of this book is going to be sort of a reflection on the first series as a whole mm-hmm. yeah i i can i can definitely see that being a thing just because like we've got percy and annabeth the two characters the two most prominent characters from that series kind of sectioned off in their own section of the narrative where you know like you were saying they're in an environment where all the all the heavy hitters all the fan favorites like checks notes kelly can come back <laughs> of course of course yeah I, I, I that really is my read on it so far because like you said we have, we're split off between our the old heads and uh the the newbies and we they get their own separate parts of the story and i think there is a it is an interesting decision to set it up ultimately as like and then they will convene at the end because it makes you wonder like well didn't, isn't that kind of what the first two books were it is a little bit what the first two books were, where it's just like setting up the the seven to go on their little quest, and then they got one book together, and then everything went to shit. Yeah, yeah. So I I'm curious what this, how this, so I'm curious how this will ultimately play out, and if it will just be kind of a retread on that in that sense. Uh, Probably I hope not, not though. Yeah. Speaking of retreads, um, just, oh, I guess not really retread so much as just like stuff from older books grover is still being graded as percy's best friend yeah i this is legitimately baffling to me at this point they because they talk about luke's shoes they talk about how they were they were cursed and almost took his best friend grover into tartarus and i have to say i don't think grover's name came up once last book (laughs) He, he is such a minor character. I don't think he has even had a major role in a book since Battle of the Labyrinth. No. No, I don't think he has. He showed up in The Last Olympian to do some, like, cult stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, Battle of the Labyrinth. And I guess that's fair, right? Uh, his story kind of ended there. His story ended when he found Pan. And so as much as... as, much, as as much as we joke about, like, oh, Grover's so irrelevant now, it kind of feels like Rick Riordan is just like, yeah, his story is done. He doesn't really need to be foregrounded anymore. That's true. But at the same time, like, at this point, I would legitimately buy that, like, Hazel is Percy's best friend. <laughs> That's really funny, but yeah. <laughs> They've been through some shit together. 
you went through some shit with Grover too. This is true. You you don't get like an eternal mind link with someone and not consider them your best friend, at least in some respect. Oh, that's that's when Grover has come up during these books. Is I think he briefly talked to Percy through the uh, empathy link in Son of Neptune. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Wasn't he like using that to like locate him? And he was like, uh, you know, send send these guys. Yeah, and he sent fucking Tyson to get him. I remember this. Yeah, okay. Well, so Grover has shown up, but I think you could count the mentions of his name on two hands at minimum. At most, rather. Why wasn't Grover the chaperone, actually? He is an adult. Yeah, he's like 30 in goat years. Why is it Coach Hedge and not Grover? <laughs> not just that, but I think he was already older. Th- like, if you translate it over, I think he was, like, a little bit older than Percy, even. So yeah. he probably is 18 by now. He... Wait, why isn't Grover the chaperone? <laughs> I mean, we can talk all we want about how Grover already had his narrative fulfilled, but there's no, like, story to Coach Hedge. Like, he doesn't really have a character arc. Yeah, we wouldn't think. be losing much. Yeah, I mean, he's fine sometimes, but... We would lose the c- sick Chuck Norris spin kicks. I was going to say he peaked when he delivered the spin kick in the aquarium. <laughs> but Grover could have done that. What if Grover took some classes? The thing, I, see, if if Grover did something that he called a Chuck Norris spin kick, I would accept that as him doing something cringe because Grover is kind of cringe and that's part of his charm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess if we're looking at it from, we're sort of on a specific level of analysis right now, where if we're looking at it from the point of view of like, characters who belong to the old series characters who belong to the new and their different sort of functions grover being there might throw that off a little bit oh yeah i guess so because i would especially once nico rocks up it would definitely shift the balance of the crew toward like more of an even split rather than mostly new characters which is kind of what you want from a spinoff i guess yeah absolutely i so i think i can i can respect it but i do question it from a <laughs> I, I guess I don't question it. It just feels like Grover could have been this guy. We're always trying to replace Coach Hedge. I feel like this is our mission. <laughs> I just, it, We wouldn't be trying to replace him if he was well-written. Yeah. He's, <laughs> sometimes he's funny, but that's about it. Yeah. Uh, Percy's not having like the worst time of his life, though. He is still thinking, I think at the top of, tra- of the first chapter we read, about how uh, hot he thinks Annabeth looks. Yeah, this this seems to be mostly what's powering him at this point. I guess that's like fair, the power of having a girlfriend and being like, wow, my girlfriend is so pretty. Yeah, and also like the, the this is something that we really liked in the Annabeth chapters, just like the degree to which it's being played up that these two are really like drawing their strength from each other in this fucking horrible situation. Absolutely. Yeah, we already talked about how like we already talked about how much better off Annabeth is, Annabeth and Percy are than the the people up top. <laughs> and that still seems to be true. Oh, they they are surrounded by so much yucky, yucky stuff in this in this Tartarus. These chapters are so yucky. The ground is pocked with blisters that give birth to monsters, like larval monsters. As it's, it's skin, gross. the ground is skin. That fucking got me. That really got me. Yeah, no, I shuddered. 
Percy trying to like scoop up dirt like you would with normal earth and it being one giant membrane under a thin layer. That's that's gross. And he like he looks at some of the rock formations around and is like, wait, that looks like a rib cage. The, this like implication or maybe just paranoia about Tartarus possible it makes me wonder if Tartarus is not just a location but like a creature like maybe even mm. like a form of like primordial god yeah yeah I, I mean I read this and I was thinking uh, this this would have been so cool if this was Echidna Ooh, yeah because she's you know she's the mother of all monsters so the idea of her like being down here this like huge organic mass just like constantly rebirthing the monsters I feel like it could have been really cool rather than her being someone on an arch with a chihuahua. I think this would be a great opportunity to have her to have her. I think this would be a great opportunity to have her return. Yeah, definitely. I think what I'm interested in is if Tartarus. Now, I I don't feel like looking it up right now, but if Tartarus is like one of those mythological entities that is also a sort of part of the cosmos like part of the world that would mm-hmm. kind of put it at the same level as like gaia or uranus right yeah definitely so that would mean that 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 that's just interest i would like to see like it seems like tartarus is largely just like if any if it has any sentience it is just like monstrous but i would be curious to see if that comes up at all did Gaia have a husband who was, like, thrown into the underworld or became the underworld or something? Or am I thinking of the sky goddess from Cain Chronicles? I think you're thinking of of, of Egyptian mythology. Fuck. <laughs> you're thinking of Nut. That's it. Nut, who, who, uh, I think whose husband was, like, forced to be the Earth, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. However, she does also, like, I think this is another mythology where the, the sky and the earth were married. I think whatever equivalent of the the sky did, does exist. Mm-hmm. Man, Percy just continues to become more based with every book. Uh-huh. You know, last book he realized that uh, maybe the ruling class actually fucking sucks. Uh, and in this book, he's thinking... Hey, maybe prisons are fucked up. Yeah, because he's he's stuck in the situation and he's thinking about Tantalus and like him having a similar punishment. And Percy's like, I fucking hate Tantalus. He's a horrible guy. I don't know if he deserves this. This seems cruel. I'm really glad we're examining these things. Like, <laughs> what, what, what? Tan? Like, it's torture, right? They are they are doing torture. One hundred percent. And that's just textual and obviously it's you know it's mythology torture happens i guess uh mm-hmm. but this becoming the type of series where when you talk about like oh yeah i'm I'm cursed so that when i try to eat or drink it goes away from me like i i'm the fact that that is now something that can be questioned so directly uh in the text really is heartening i guess like it feels like we could have some sort of greater critique being developed rather than just sort of having to be like well that's that's the stories it's how it is that's western civilization which would be nice because we've been we've been kind of like putting the boot into the these books with like the border patrol and prison metaphors but this this does feel like uh 
a ray of hope that maybe like that is something we're going to be examining, which would be really nice. Yeah, I mean, for all we know, this could end with like them being like, we can't, we can't do like we we have to change how Tartarus is, uh, mm-hmm. and you know maybe that would end up being sort of a reform reformist sort of thing, but it could also be something kind of kind of cool. That would be nice. I will say, um, it, I I kind of like to see Percy like talk those feelings out with Annabeth. Yeah. One of the things that we were kind of interested in at the end of the last book was like Annabeth comes to this ultimately like very loyal conclusion about the Olympians where she like feels that they're kind of a, a cosmic necessity while Percy is like what is to be done about the Olympians. Uh, basically, right? <laughs> and like one of the things we were excited about was like them being stuck together and maybe seeing them hash that out. I do yeah. want to, because most of Annabeth and Percy's interactions so far have been that sort of like cheering each other on, lifting each other up mm-hmm. when they're down. And, you know, that's great. But I want, I, I think just putting these two characters together in the stark environment is a great opportunity for them to, them to just like talk a lot. Absolutely. 100%. And... The introduction of Bob the Titan does kind of worry me that maybe we won't we won't be getting as much of that though. I I don't think Bob is long for this world or at least for this story. You think so? I feel having having a Titan around who can just insta kill anything they come across is like that's going to really detract from like the threat of Tartarus that's been built up so far. Maybe they run into another Titan. God, they could run into another Titan. Because Percy brings that up here, the Titans went to Tartarus when they were killed again. <laughs> like they are, they are down here. Kronos could be down here. I like, I like the idea he has of like a million evil Kronos particles just like around him, glaring at him. Jane, your your fucking theory, <laughs> your your hopes and dreams finally can be fulfilled. Uh, we're gonna find I... out that actually every single time you thought something was Kronos, it was because a Kronos particle had come up from Tartarus <laughs> and infected that person. God, if only. God, you know who I really hope they run into actually. Who's that? Prometheus. Ooh. Because we really liked Prometheus in Last Olympian. He was kind of, he was a very cool kind of like manipulative villain figure, and yeah. we, we, the book didn't do a whole lot with him, but like there's an opportunity for him to come back here. I think that would be cool. I I want to. I would like to see more of the like big weird villains with personalities. Is what I would mm-hmm. definitely like. <laughs> Instead <laughs> of fucking Polybates, Polyphemus. Those are two different uh-huh. guys, but they had the same problem. They, yeah, their both their names start with Poly, and uh-huh. we hate Poly people. I guess. I guess. I have two girlfriends. I can make that joke. Uh, <laughs> I am maidenless. <laughs> I can't make that joke. You are at an equal, like an equal and opposite level where you can make that joke still. Don't worry about it. Ah, Kelly is the ultimate threat to our heroes. <laughs> yeah, you think so? There is no one scarier than Kelly. This is what the entire I- series has been building up to. It's all Kelly. She, <laughs> I, I am sort of fat. I was like, I think you were a bit more like skeptical or critical or confused about her inclusion last time than I than I was. I think so. Yeah. 
I, I feel like I'm with you now. What's what's happening here? <laughs> like, <laughs> she gets dispatched pretty quickly, but while she is here, like everyone is talking about how like oh Kelly had this great crush on like Luke and uh like there, it feels like stuff is being invented whole cloth. It's it's so funny to me that Percy says like oh I always thought that Kelly had a bit of a thing for Luke. He has that effect on girls. And I'm like, you motherfucker, I read Lightning Thief, I, <laughs> it is very obvious that baby Percy had a bit of a thing for Luke, what are you talking about? Yeah, Luke had an effect on <laughs> everyone. <fucking> hypocrite. <laughs> Luke's character is charming fascist. Exactly. He, he's the one that you want to, like, that, that draws you in. Again, we've been over this, Sharklone. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and I do think that, like... And we talked about it before, but this book is continuing to reposition him as largely just sort of someone who was manipulated. And I think, like I said, like like we said before again, that is worse for the character. Uh-huh. Yeah, it it takes away a lot of his agency and like the very bad decisions that he made. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So we've talked about how excited we were about Bob. What do you what do you think of him now that he shows up? He's he's got the silly hair. He's got like a he's become the janitor of the underworld. You know, I I love Bob actually. Yeah. I was I was mostly hoping for his return ironically, but there's just something very charming about him, I think. He has a like simultaneously endearing and also slightly horrifying personality. Yeah, 100%. Well, because like, yeah, he's great. His name is—he's Bob. Yay! He's he's the janitor, of the, the janitor of the underworld. So it's cute. But like, I think this is all here when Bob is like, he shows up and Percy is like, "Wow, it's Bob!" And Bob says, "Yep, it's me, Bob. Bob, 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 Bob." And he, Percy is like, "Oh yeah, he's repeating his name because he he likes it." But also, that's kind of just terrifying to me because him saying Bob over and over again also reads just as much as like a bit of confusion and a bit of like the artifice of Bob, uh, like stapled on top of Iapetus the Impaler is, uh, it it reminds you of how easily like, Hey, didn't we just have a book about Percy getting his memories back? (laughs) That's really interesting. Cause I had almost like the opposite reading on that. Okay. Where I was like, I kind of found it delightful that, um, Bob as like this this former like evil fucking guy in Kronos's army like who was he was down with like the guy who was going to kill everyone and is now like you know he's much happier and he's kind of delight delighting in his new identity like Percy says that like Bob seems to like to to enjoy like his name just as a thing and that's why he keeps saying it to himself yeah I don't know is it, look I I understand that this is a very transgender thing to say, but that kind of gave me trans vibes. I completely understand what you're saying. <laughs> We're, let's do like a sort of mid mid episode. Uh, this character is not says hat. Sounds like your nomination is Bob. Yes, <laughs> and that that's just fine. I'm gonna give my my character is not says hat of the episode to oh my god, what was her fucking name? Seraphine. Yeah, Seraphine who uh, is, like, the second-in-command, kind of, of the Impalsa, but as soon as she uh, voices, like, wanting to 
as soon as she voices wanting to like go with Percy and Annabeth, uh, Kelly literally tears her apart. Uh, and I think the experience of like having the lead girl sort of destroy you in an instant, that's there's something <laughs> lesbian about that, probably. This is Yuri to me. This is a type of Yuri. Have we talked <laughs> the Imagine Tartarus, a stark plane of like a <laughs> it's and imagine that there could have been women here once. This is Yuri. There, there was a woman here once. Her name was Arachne, and Percy killed her because he hates to see a girl boss winning. It's true. Uh, Arachne. There should be more Arachne, Yuri, I think. <laughs> you think so? You need her to have like a hate relationship with Athena or something? That's exactly what I was thinking of. I want I want the Arachnathena. The Arachnathena fic where they are like... It's a modern AU where they are like... Um, they both go to the local crafts fair, right? And they both do like weaving or tapestries or whatever. And they fucking hate each other. Athena mm-hmm. especially hates Arachne. And eventually gets her comeuppance, but like has to like... Has to like nurse her back to health because she feels bad or something like that and then they kiss i was i spent that entire thing convinced that you were gonna say like oh yeah uh spider yuri modern au and try and lead that into a Riska homestuck joke (laughs) i'm absolutely convinced that's what you were gonna do i mean you said a hate relationship so i guess yeah i I very deliberately said that and not kismesis Uh uh-huh uh-huh uh well, I guess we'll see if Rick Riordan publishes that book at some point. <laughs> the Rick Riordan Watt Pumpkin collaboration for when he feels like he wants to just burn his reputation. <laughs> <sighs> well, you know, Bob does seem happier in his like current identity, but I, is does his fate strike you as slightly tragic too? Oh, definitely. <laughs> he has been sort of forced to be a janitor for Hades. Yeah, it seems like it seems like things are fairly terrible for him at the minute. Although he doesn't entirely seem to understand that. Which is maybe worse. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> Percy should use his newfound class consciousness on on Bob. He should. Tell him to ask for a raise. Fuck he can unionize with uh Caron. <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs> Oh my god, yes, that would be so good. Wait, I really need that to be a section in one of these books. It could be in the fucking uh, the, the new Nico book that's coming out. Like, uh, Bob, Charon, uh, who's some other, who are some other, Cerberus. like the Furies, Cerberus. <laughs> they, they all come together and demand higher wages. The judges. Fuck yeah. No, fuck no, I don't want Thomas Jefferson getting paid more. Oh fuck! Is Thomas Jefferson one of the judges? I think I swear to God that was in one of these books. That it's, it's like I, it's all like old white men from European history or like American history, basically. I completely forgot about that. That you're one hundred percent right. Oh lord, <laughs> yeah. The, the judges, the the judges can fuck off. They're class traitors. <laughs> but everyone else, I need I need this to be like the subplot of the Nico book. Absolutely. I have a very special kind of brain poison. What's that? Where um, the the part the part at the end of chapter fifteen where it's like the shadow of a titan fell over the field, and it's been a thousand years, and my brain still went standby for Titanfall. <laughs> I, I will say, 
my I, I wrote this as a joke, but my, my final note on chapter 15 was a Titan dropped onto the battlefield. Titanfall 2 reference? <laughs> uh, I, I want Titanfall 3 so bad and it'll never happen. It won't happen. <laughs> Play fucking Phantom Brigade, Brigade or something. I did download the demo for that and it was pretty fun. Uh, you like the mech tactics game? I do like the mech tactics game. Wow. Pretty cool. <laughs> Again, it's it's all sci-fi tactics games. You called me out on this yesterday, I think. Yeah, I I did. I did. we were we were playing a little RPG with each other, just just to in private, and we <laughs> saying we played an RPG together in private makes it sound I, a lot more salacious. Than... I wasn't gonna say anything. <laughs> I meant like not for the podcast is what Some I meant to say. Some kind of private role-playing situation. We were just sort of like hanging out, just the two of us role playing uh, <laughs> privately. And anyway, I want to talk about the fight, the fight against Kelly and the Impausai. Percy is just getting his ass kicked today. He is, yeah. He's really like, I, I like it as first instinct is to pull out the Annabeth tactic, though. He's like, okay, I have to do it. What would Annabeth do? I will lie, cheat, and, uh, like, stall until we figure something out. Which is, frankly, I feel like that's Percy putting a lot of his stuff on Annabeth. Because Percy is absolutely the kind of guy who does the tricks to bullshit all the time. He absolutely does. I guess he you could say he tricked a guy into all- committing suicide in the last book. He did. No, sorry, Son of guess- Neptune. <laughs> I guess you could say he learned it all from her. <laughs> That's how you know a couple stay together when they learn to manipulate off one another. Exactly. Uh, this is this is girl boss and boy boss, I guess. For now. Or two or two girl boss. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm 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 watching that ticking counter, Percy. You're you're getting closer to the to midnight. And at, at midnight, the world's egg will crack. <laughs> I uh, think this is actually a really well done fight. Uh, the first one that I've been like, ooh, pretty cool. Uh, upon rereading, especially, I just think that like, with how well the setting of Tartarus has been established and how clearly desperate the stakes are, you you get just an opportunity to write just like a straight up like, here are two people versus five people, and I honestly kind of wish it went on longer, like. It, it it just works as a pretty good like brawl on the page i think oh definitely it's it's a lot um it's a lot i guess it's kind of a reset of the stakes right because like the last percy fight was that huge bombastic thing in the coliseum and it kind of seems like a lot of percy fights have been getting steadily bigger and more ridiculous yeah and this is just this may as well be like seven people scrapping outside a pub yeah basically like he he kills one of them with a sword uh one of them runs at him and like bites him at one point annabeth like throws some of the gravel into kelly's eyes <laughs> he says fucking pocket sound god and look speak speaking of girl boss and boy boss probably girl boss later just like i don't know the idea of percy like being covered in like three empusa and like still trying to like reach out for annabeth I uh, know, it just made me think of that one bit in Matrix Resurrections. I Is that the new one? Yeah, the new one. Well, have you seen that one? No, not yet, sadly. Uh, there's, there's just a bit where Neo and Trinity are like, they're both getting dogpiled and they're like reaching out towards each other. That's so good. Yeah. God. We should get... <laughs> oh yeah, that is kind of the same dynamic, huh? Uh, that just hit me. <laughs> 
there there is an interesting uh, implication that Callie makes where she says that the Titans losing was part of Gaia's ultimate plan. Mm-hmm. Have we have has this been like has this been implied yet? Like has is this something that has been brought up before? It's it's not been implied in this way before. I think um Chiron has talked about it as a like history is repeating itself. So the loss of the Titans paves the way for Gaia to come back, but I don't think it's been laid out as like Gaia planned for it. Yeah, or or someone planned for it at least. She says like this was part of the plan to bring her back. So mm. it it makes it sound a lot more conspiratorial interestingly enough. And I wonder if there is some like greater group behind this than we know of, like ooh. trying to bring back Gaia. Ooh, ooh, ooh. What's that? We were we were talking about Prometheus earlier. Uh-huh. The thing we hear about Prometheus in the wake of the Titan War is like he immediately tried to like switch sides to the Olympians. He was very slippery. He seemed to be like ready to hit the bricks if Kronos fell. So yeah. maybe this was like a backup plan he had going. Oh, that could really be it. I that would be super interesting. I was gonna say like, I don't know. There, are, I think there are a lot of different directions that this kind of story could go if it's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it being Prometheus could be interesting. Um, there, Gaia has a lot of witches. I'm noticing. Uh, that does like, keep happening. So, so maybe there's like a group of like cultists or witches that are like Gaia worshippers. I don't know. I it, or it could just be you know Gaia herself ultimately at the end, which mm. is it, it's probably the most likely thing. But probably. Speaking of uh, witches and sorceresses and stuff, Hecate. Hecate. This is this is why I was talking about sudden magic earlier because this comes up again. It does. Yeah, we are reminded that Hecate is actually the sort of master of the Impassi. Hmm. And not only that, it's like it's. It, it's not a direct callback to Son of Magic, but it feels like an extension of some of the stuff that the kid in that was talking about with, like, um, you know, the the Olympians kind of um, absolved Hecate and let her back into the fold, but a lot of the people who were under her still got killed, or, like, certainly weren't brought on side. And I feel like that's that's a problem in that book, and it's also extending into this one with, like, the Olympians really fucked up the cleanup after that war. Yeah. Because they didn't get the impost the impossible on side either. Yeah, that's really true. Like, they have so many stragglers. The Titan War ending could have been sort of a unifying thing in a lot of ways mm-hmm. for just like I guess the greater mythological world. Um, but it seems like it only resulted in more splits. It only resulted in more divisions. At the end of the day, the aftermath of the Titan War, yeah, the Olympians were safe for now, but, and, you know, they, they quote-unquote accepted more gods, like, into, like, the ranks of respect, but there are still people fighting against this. There are still people who are probably inside the ranks who are still uh, anti-Olympian, and mm-hmm. it it's it has led to just a more chaotic thing, which I don't know. Maybe that's something about, you know, war. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Look, I, I, I know it probably won't happen, but there's a direction the series could go where like Percy makes an earnest attempt to at reform at the end of the first series of books. And we, as we've seen throughout these ones, uh, the Olympians just like did either 
held up their, they did the bare minimum to hold up their end of the bargain, or just straight up didn't do as they were told. And it has, like, resulted in an even bigger crisis that they can't resolve properly. Yeah. And, like, that may be leading Percy to think that, hmm, maybe something more radical needs to be done about this. It's truly what is to be done. Like, <laughs> I, I need Percy to read Lennon, to read Marx, <laughs> learn lessons from the from the great from the greats. I need I need him to start you know doing some research into landlords and maybe apply <laughs> some of those techniques to the Olympians. <laughs> he should team up with the kid from Son of Magic. He should. Wait, that would be so fucking good. <laughs> oh my god. I think that would be awesome because that would that would bridge the gap, right? That would bridge the gap between people who are fighting for Olympia Olympus, people who are fighting for the Titans and people who ultimately just want to like fucking they both have the same position. Uh, I've never thought about the, this before, but Alabaster, that was his name, right? Alabaster? That was it, yeah. Alabaster really is just a Percy on the other side. Like, he he also thinks that the Olympians are just, like, gangsters. He also thinks that, like, they, they are kind of just screwing up the world. He sort of fell into everything by, by like, just his parent. Like, that is, mm-hmm. it's what happened to Percy. And... At the end of the, oh my god, yeah, yeah. If they both, if they, if, I, Alabaster probably will never show up again because he is kind of like a, like little kids OC, right? Let Haley um, Ryden write another story, you coward. Let Haley Ryden write the la- <laughs> the the blood of Olympus. This is my, <laughs> I mean, the blood of Olympus will be the blood of the Olympians spilt upon the stairs <laughs> by the brave hero, by the brave revolutionary hero Percy Jackson. <laughs> Perseus Jackson will bring about the fall of, the fall of capitalism. I need this to be true. <laughs> have, have we considered? We've talked about if the, the Olympians are just a metaphor for capitalism, poor right? I think we have. I, I think that like has has that's sometimes been true, and sometimes the Olympians are like shitty parenting and bad schooling. Can we take a few minutes to reflect on how far we've moved away from that? <laughs> God, yeah, we have. Like it's still coming up sometimes, especially last book, especially with um, like Athena and Annabeth's relationship. Mm. But the metaphor has broadened out a lot. Yeah, I think because like so much of like the way that the gods were were in the first five books was like they were they were very humanized in a way that where they were like these kind of mostly like flawed, not always bad, but sometimes like in, inattentive parents. Uh, and I think like them being locked off in Olympus for most of this and just not really having any interaction with the outside world has kind of like it means that aspect of it is gone, and it does make room for those kind of broader readings of them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We haven't gotten a lot of the gods in this book yet, except for Hecate, who who doesn't have the sort of split happening there. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm curious what their role in the story will be. I we didn't see any of that side of the story today. Um, the House of Hades. You must show up at some point, surely. Yeah, I want to get some Hades or Pluto. I want I want Hazel to talk to Pluto. Yeah, and Nico. I want the other kids to meet him and go, "Hey, isn't that Hitler?" Uh, Wait, I just realized Percy literally did that in the Lightning Thief fuck. Yeah, that's that's that is what Lightning <laughs> Thief is. He he meets him and says, "Isn't that like all the bad guys that I've ever seen before?" 
isn't that Hitler bin Laden Bonaparte? <laughs> I forgot that he includes Napoleon Bonaparte in there. <laughs> Lord. How can we never like have the part where it's like, wow, Zeus looks a lot like Winston Churchill. <laughs> God, I'm so glad that's not a thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it is a thing, though. We've specifically been, like, it's wait. specifically been said that those, that, like, I think Winston Churchill specifically is, like, a son of a god. Wait, has it? I'm double-checking this, but I, we, we were told that during World this. War II, during World War II, the major leaders were all demigods. Oh, yeah, because it was, I, I hmm. Well, I was about to say, well, maybe it's kind of like the the war between Camp Jupiter and Camp Half-Blood, where it's like, um, you know, it's it's more of like a parallel war. But no, we learned in the last book that, like, no, they just fought in the Civil War. Hey, yes. hang on a second. Does uh-huh. this mean World War II was between Camp Jupiter and Camp Half-Blood? That's not a Civil War, is no, it? No, that's not a Civil War. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is so fucking funny. Um... Having them be the Confederacy is dicey enough. There's a page on the Riordan wiki that is just World War II. And oh, God. It just has a very long history section that is the history of World War II. <laughs> um, which is just I love like it a when very. Wikis have this. Which is just a very straightforward section, except for like the third to last sentence world war ii in the books is described to be a huge fight between the children of zeus and poseidon on one side and the children of hades on the other the events of world war ii result in the pact of the big three because their children are affecting the course of history too much <laughs> i and frederick chase is also very knowledgeable on the subject being a military professor is that ms Dad? yes it is <laughs> the world war ii shit really is like the original sin of this series it's so fucking funny. <laughs> Did you remember that Bez from Kane Chronicles fought in World War II and killed demon Nazis? Oh my god, he did. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. <laughs> the sons of Hades slash Pluto were to be at the head of fascist Italy, Nazi Germany, Imperial Japan. Riordan, however, declared that Hitler is not a demigod. But that does mean Mussolini and, uh, who's the other? Hirohito? Uh-huh. Uh, does that mean they were, they were sons of, uh, Pluto? I guess so. Maybe he means it wasn't like the actual like heads of state, but just like high-ranking members of like cabinets and shit, which is like probably still just as bad, but still. Yes. God. Uh, you have anything else you want to talk about with these chapters? Uh, let me have a look. Oh, a uh, really nice moment that I like between Percy and Annabeth. Uh-huh. Um, is when Annabeth is doing her bluff about, oh, the camps have totally unified. Uh, Percy, it, it requires like no prompting or no nudge for Percy to immediately bust out his tattoo. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I like that that, that is a like, a good example of these two like working in concert. They're like, they're experienced warriors, they've worked together a lot, they rely on each other and understand each other. And I like that. Definitely, yeah, I completely agree. That's a very, that's one of my favorite parts of this of these chapters. Uh, Percy like pulling down his tattoo and being like, "Yeah, when Romans and Greeks move together, this is what happens." Bam, and then just like stomping on the ground and scaring all of them. <laughs> it, it's interesting to me that they are like so scared of Roman demigods. I guess I guess it's more a case of like they're scared of like the unification between the camps. 
Although I guess it does kind of make sense in that, like, the Roman camp, it, there's more of them and they're more militarized. So maybe they, like, they cause more problems for the monsters. That would make sense to me. I think they are probably the bigger threat out of, like, the the reputation of Camp Jupiter. They're weird military freaks. The reputation of Camp Half-Blood. They are, like, weird solo questers who they 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 only allow you to send three people at most on a quest <laughs> and uh they always die <laughs> yeah camp jupiter actual rump state of the the roman empire weird little like military hunter ruled over by a dictator uh camp half blood literally just a summer camp at the end of the day though i know which one i support oh 100 percent the ones that didn't fight for slavery. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I think that might be it for us this episode. <laughs> uh, we had an ad for it at the beginning of the episode, but if you are a, a fan of Unwise Girls and a fan of Moonshot as a whole, which if you're a fan of Unwise Girls, that means you are a fan of Moonshot, so don't don't try and worm your way out of that, you should go <laughs> and order one of our pins. We're doing our first merch run, and if you go to moonshotpods.com, you will see a funny little banner that will take you to the place where you can pre-order a nice little a little moonshot gem badge of sorts. <laughs> Additionally, our intro and outro is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore in on Twitter. We are hosted by the Moonshot Network. Like I said before, moonshotpods.com. If you want to find us, you can go to twitter.com slash unwisegirls, where you can find links to our Discord server, our email, our socials, you can get uh, updates when we release episodes, all of that. If you want to support us, you can go leave a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app of choice. You can tell a friend about us, or you can go to discord.com. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Bias Nitro. (laughs) Don't fucking give discord money for us please um <laughs> or if you want to support us monetarily you can go to patreon.com slash unwise girls where for a dollar a month you can get the discord role of camp counselor for three dollars a month you get the discord role of a friend of bacchus as well as all of our bonus content yep uh uh that includes our bonus podcast natural of the pods where for the past couple of weeks we have been going through uh black sales which we were originally doing because that's uh, a show that has, like, as a major character, uh, as, a, as a major actor, the guy who plays Poseidon in the new Percy Jackson show, that was our thin pretense for doing it before, but now we're just watching it because it's good. So if you want to listen to us talk about Black Sails. We watched an episode recently that made me, like, vibrate all my molecules out of my body. So now there are two Jacklins. <laughs> uh, one who is incorporeal, one who is t- entirely solid, but without, like, animus. Uh, it makes me really excited that the person who created that show uh, is now cr- is now creating the Percy Jackson show after after watching episode five, huh, Jane? The person who created that? Oh, wait, what? Is it like sharing production staff as well? We've talked about this before. Um, the creator <laughs> of Black Sails is like the head person on the on Percy Jackson. I'm almost Jackson positive TV we show. haven't talked about this, but that rules. We have talked about this. I swear to God. Wait, no, we did talk about this because I remember making a stupid joke that was like, I can't wait to see like the prequel he does to these books because that seems to be where he does the best. Yes. <laughs> we did, yes. Oh, and for $5 a month, you get a Discord roll of Venus is Chosen, all of our bonus content, and 
a special thank you at the end of every episode. Uh, we'll also be uh, opening a new Patreon tier at $10 where you get a version of the episode where we don't like completely fuck up the outro. <laughs> <laughs> I added that all out. It's fine. That, that, that's for our, that's, that's for the, the free Patreon tier. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Simcoe, I Love Sammy's Great, uh, Danny, Tanner, Mercy, Veronica, Friend, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye. Hey, CJ, is that Gahooligans promo ready yet? Sure is, PB. You want to hear it? Yeah. Hello, Owlets. I can hear your beaks churring with the who's, the why's, and other forbidden questions about Catherine Lasky's Guardians of Gahool. Join us, the Gahooligans, twice every dwanking in the great blue yonder for some glocks given spronk, some laughter therapy, and some subglossious ransacking of literary merit. Okay, I only understood about a third of that, and did you use an owl swear in there? No. You didn't do the assigned reading? No, that's your job, CJ. I'm just here for the owl facts. Well, we'll have to work on your vocabulary. I guess you'll have to teach me every other week on Gahooligans. Only on the Moonshot Network.